Welcome to Bible study, everybody. Glad you're here. Uh, I'm happy to be here. So, in fact, I did a jig when I came in, and uh, you're welcome to do a jig as you're here or before you leave if you'd like to, but uh, we express our happiness in different ways, I guess. So let's start our time in prayer. Father, thanks for uh, being here. Uh, we have gathered in the name of Jesus, and we welcome you right here in our midst. Jesus, would you speak to us? Would you just have your way? Uh, we, we pray for the Holy Spirit to teach us tonight. That, God, we'd have just a really an open heart to receive, an open mind to receive, and open ears, open eyes to receive what you want to really fill us with tonight. So, God, we ask for uh, just a, a filling by you. Uh, by knowledge, by inspiration, by revelation, by understanding, God, that you would just fill us up. And so we, we pray for God, your blessing on our time. We ask you, God, that we would be open and ready to receive all that you want to say and do. Have your way, God, if we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 If you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to Romans chapter 9. If you need a Bible, you can grab one uh, off one of the tables or out of the box over there. Uh, this week we have a message that was sent through SpeakPipe that I'll play in just a moment. But I do want to remind everyone that if you'd like to participate in our Bible study time, we have a feature available through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. There, there you find a button that you can toggle and you can leave what would be a voicemail uh, when it, asks, it prompts you to do so. And then we receive that via email and we can play it during our meeting. Uh, we're looking for questions, comments. If you'd like to tell us anything, share anything with us or ask any question, we'd love to hear from you, and it's a way that you can interact with us, and we can interact with you. So we do have a message tonight from China, pretty exciting, uh, from Aaron and Chris, so I'm going to play that. Hi, it's Aaron and Chris, we just listened to a Bible study from a couple of weeks ago, we're a little behind here in China, but it was pretty awesome. Chris wants to say something. Hello. I just want to say, uh, Aaron and I were just listening to the Bible study, and um, it was really, really good. And everything that I've been facing in my life and um, for my future, all the, all the lies and the worries that I have and the fears, everything, um, the sermon and the word all spoke about that. So it was a really good sermon. And just gave me more clarity and God really spoke to me. So it really means a lot and I really appreciate that sermon. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> and so it's that easy. Uh, if you'd like to leave a message, uh, you would like to uh, ask a question, uh, please avail yourself of that. Romans chapter 9. I need a volunteer to read verses 24 and 25. And thank you, Aaron and Chris, for sending that in. Romans 9, 24 and 25. Even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. 
Gentiles. As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. All right, so I just want to start with full disclosure, uh, and that's really what I think the theme of this is, is full disclosure, uh, and that is, I want you to think of the worst thing you've ever done. What's the worst thing you've ever done? I can think of a couple things right off the top of my head. You don't really have to dig too deep, I mean, just something bad. Well, God already knows about that, all right? He already knows the worst thing you've ever done. He He's aware. He has, uh, he, he, he understands what happened. He sees what happened. He knows what happened. It's done. All right. There's full disclosure with him. He's everywhere all the time. He knows everything. Uh, it's, it's just the way it is. Now, we like to comfort ourselves with the idea that he will throw our sin and once we're free, it's forgiven into the sea of forgetfulness and all of that. But the bottom line is, is that he knows and the disclosure is there. It's already been done. And so with full disclosure as to who we are, with that being done, He still loves us and He still offers relationship and life with Him. So there's really no reason to think anything differently than what He presents to us. In other words, when He is saying, I offer you this life, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He says that fully knowing who you are. And he's not saying it to someone else. He's saying it to you. He's saying when he speaks about loving you, he's loving you with the full knowledge of who you are. He's not talking to someone else. He's talking to you. And so he knows who you are. He knows what your shortcomings are. He knows where you've been. He knows what you've done. All the rest of those kind of things, and he still just wants to love you. He still wants to protect you. He still wants to provide for you. He still has a future for you. He still calls you. He still empowers you. He still fills you with the Spirit. He still uses you in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He does all of those things, and he knows who you are. And he knows what you've done. And so the reason I'm bringing this up is because what these verses, to me, highlight is this idea that God fully understands and knows who we are. And even with that knowledge, even with that understanding, and, and whatever your biggest fears are about being exposed, whatever your biggest fears are about whatever it is, God already knows, He already loves you, and He already has provided for you. So, there's nothing else to disclose to Him. He's not looking for any other thing from you. He, he already knows who you are, where you've come from, and what you've done. So if you read the verse before, somebody read verse 23, just quickly. What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the eyes of mercy, to be prepared in advance for glory? Alright, so in that verse, there's the idea of vessels of glory... And vessels of wrath. If you have an old version, you probably you can read that a little more clearly in it. But there's those ideas like there's these vessels of glory, there's these vessels of wrath. Well, who are they? Well, simply put, what that's talking about are, are people that either accept the word or they don't. That's all there is to it. There's nothing more to it than that. 
There's people that are going to accept God's word. They're going to accept his love. They're going to accept relationship with him. They're going to seek after that relationship. They're going to live their lives before him or they're not. And so because of that, they, they make their decision. They make their decision about who they're going to be. They make their decision about what the relationship with God is going to be. And some people are going to make that decision at the last minute of their life. You know, it's possible that people can live as a vessel of wrath their whole life. And then in the last second, who do we have an example of that in the Bible? Anybody? Who's my go-to guy? The guy on the, the thief on the cross, the malefactor. Last second decision. He was a vessel of wrath his whole life. In the last minute, he, he cries out to, and he says, you know, I believe in you, Jesus. And he becomes a vessel of glory. Right then. And he's been a vessel of glory ever since for all of eternity. He will be. Because he made that decision then. And I, I know that that's a dramatic example of what we're talking about, but I want you to think about that. It's like our lives are, are lived like that. And you look at people and you say, well, I don't really want to judge people that way. Okay, then don't. Don't worry about it. If you want to just look at people as either their vessels of glory or potential vessels of glory, well, then you can look at them that way if you want. The fact of the matter is, is that as people live their lives, they're either living right here and right now as a vessel of glory or a vessel of wrath. That's the truth. And that vessel of wrath has every bit of potential to turn and be a vessel of glory. It does. And that decision can be made at any moment, now all the way up until a person dies. They got that opportunity. They can make a different decision. And so there's always hope. Always, always, always. And so what, what that speaks to me, that speaks of grace. That we're called, really and truly called by grace. That we were all vessels of wrath. Every single person starts out that way. We're vessels of wrath. And we're called by grace. If we answer that call, we answer by grace. And, and not only does God call us by His grace, He then enables us by His grace. To answer that call and to actually live it. That, that's, his, that, that's His gift to us. It is a gift of His grace. And we become vessels of glory, vessels of mercy. Instead of vessels of wrath. But how? Because we're such great people? No, it's just His grace. How? Because we, 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 we have some inside knowledge that other people don't have? No, nope. it's just by His grace. And in a lot of times... People that make those kind of decisions, they're either born into it. There's two ways you make that decision. You're either born into it or your life just is terrible and you make a decision. A lot of times, I mean, I know that that's kind of weird extremes, but a lot of times those are the cases. You reach a point in your life where you just decide, I don't want to live this way anymore. I need something else. And so you make a different decision or you're just born into it. And so at a certain point when you can make a decision, you see the people around you living as, as vessels of mercy. You see the people around you living as vessels of grace. And you just make that decision and you go along with them. It could be your family. It could be your friends. It could be people that you're just around. And you make that decision and go along with them. For other people, they need to make that decision because their life's a mess. It's okay. Okay, the Bible talks about people like that. It says, if you've been forgiven much, why do you do much? You love much. So, so Jesus has made provision for that in our lives. He's made provision for, for people to come into the kingdom. However, they're going to come into the kingdom. He's made provision for people to make decisions for Him. They, they, however, they're going to make their decisions. But 
They were once something and then they became something else. They were vessels of wrath, they became vessels of mercy. Vessels of wrath, they became vessels of glory. But we all come from somewhere and we all started at the same place. Vessels of wrath. Whatever that looked like for you. Alright, maybe you were five years old and you told a lie to your mom. Vessel of wrath. Okay, good. Maybe you were a grown person and you killed somebody. Vessel of wrath. Maybe you destroyed your life or the life of somebody else through an addiction that you had. Vessel of wrath. Whatever it is. We all come from that place. Whatever that looks like. Dave, yes. So we're born. born. Right. It's just the way it is. It's the way it is. You're not born as a vessel of glory. But we have the opportunity that we can become that. That's the work of grace in our life. And and the mistake people make is thinking that somehow we earn that right. We don't earn that right. Somehow thinking that somehow if we're a good person, then we get that opportunity. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. You can be born into the best family and still be a vessel of wrath your whole life. You can be born to Christian parents and be a vessel of wrath your whole life. Plenty of preacher's kids can attest to that. You know, my mother was a great example of that. My grandfather was a pastor. My mother, born into it, rebelled against it, lived her whole life in rebellion against it. Within the last four or five years that she was alive, made a decision and became a vessel of glory, a vessel of grace or peace or mercy, however you want to see it. But lived her whole life, 60 years in between there, 50 years, whatever it was in between there, in complete and utter rebellion against God destroying her own life. That was her decision. That's what she decided to do. So she was born into something that she rejected. Other people are born into things that are terrible. I mean, she was my mother. Guess what I was born into? Well, I was born into bitterness, anger, and rebellion. Against what? Against everything I believe in right now. But I had to make that, somewhere along the line, that decision had to come. And I know there's other factors in that. There's people praying. There's people praying for me. My grandparents were praying for me. I was staying with them all summer, so they had influence over my life. There are all these different things that were going on. But I was born into her rebellion. I was born into her disobedience. Her rejection. So, we're all coming from the same place. And, and the idea of God's people, I want you to think about that. Who are God's people anymore? Because at one time, God decided that He would, He would, uh, He would choose a, a group of people, the descendants of a man, and that they would be His people. Now, it didn't, it wasn't always that way though. I mean, think about all the time that was before Abraham. All that time that existed before Abraham was alive and, and there were those people that, I mean, everyone was God's people at the start. Adam, Eve, all of them, they were all God's people. And then all the nations of the earth that were born out of that and the earth was populated and everything that took place. And then God chose one man, his faith, Abraham, and he made a declaration to Abraham. And from Abraham, 
<coughs> we, we know that there's Isaac, there's Jacob, and then the sons of Israel. And so he chose a group of people, and he said, well, these are my people. This is my son. He calls Israel his son. And so that became his people. God's people. And so that was easy to identify. You know, how would you identify them? Well, the men, you could identify because they're all circumcised. And they were identified by their worship practices, identified by, you know, a bunch of different things. It could even language helped identify who they were. But there was some physical place, there was some physical thing, there was a physical marker, there was an actual nation of people that was God's people. Well, that's not the way it is anymore. And we're going to look at that in a minute and say, think about what does it mean to say God's people? Who? Where? Why? Why would you even say that? But I want you to think about it. Where that comes from and how that would affect you and your identity today. Do you identify yourself as one of God's people? Or has that phrase been so perverted in our language, so misused in the way that we see things, that we don't consider ourselves one of God's people? That we still look at that as something you have to be born into, or or a mark of a race, or a mark of a language, or a mark of a culture, or a mark of a particular whatever it is, a nation. Because I think what Paul is saying here to the Romans is that the definition of God's people is different than what they would think. And he was speaking to people that were both Jewish and were Gentiles at the time. And he's describing to them, he's beginning to lay a foundation as to what it means to be God's people. Like how you identify that way and who can be identified that way. Why it might be important to identify ourselves sometimes that way. And so he starts off with the idea of being chosen. Chosen how? Because you start thinking about that, what's the criteria here? You're chosen. Well, what he's describing in Romans chapter 9 is that we're going to come from all races. We're going to come from all creeds. We're going to come from all languages. We're going to come from all cultures. And that we would be individuals that would be chosen out of whatever other subgroups that we divided ourselves into. So the idea of nation, as we understand it, nation state, individuals within certain whatever nation states that exist, did exist, now exist, or will exist, are going to be chosen, are going to be called out of those nation states to be chosen as his people. People of different languages, people of different cultures, people of different creeds, races. It doesn't matter. What it becomes is a work of grace. And the distinguishing mark upon us is that God is calling us, God is choosing us, not by anything we've done, not by any kind of an outward marker, but by His grace. It's not even by our actions. It's not who's the nicest people. It's not who are the most friendly people. It's not because we come from a certain part of the world. It's not because we come from a certain socioeconomic background. It's not because we have money, we don't have money. It's not because we can speak English or we can speak French and have anything to do with it. It's by His grace. What's the most famous verse in the Bible, would you think? For God so loved the world. 
Who's that? Everybody. Everybody. And so the idea is, and that's Jesus speaking, and he's laying this foundation. I mean, Paul's not making this up, okay? He may be applying it to the church, he may be applying it to our situation, but he's certainly not making this up. So Jesus declares in John 3.16, it's not about the sons of Abraham anymore. It's not about that anymore. It's not about what what lineage you come from anymore. It's not about the language you speak. It's not about where you've come out of. It's not even about what religion that you're a part of. Jesus is declaring that God has so loved the world that He's given His Son that whosoever, and that's an all-inclusive word, anybody, anybody that would believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So, the, the idea behind that is that there is a worldwide provision that God has made by His grace. Worldwide. Full disclosure. Is everyone nice in the world? No. Are some people mean? Yeah. Are some people rotten? Yeah. Are some people killers? Yeah. Are some people embezzlers? Are some people liars? Are some people whatever you want to put behind that? Are some people all of those things? Yes. You know what? God loves them. God loves them. Why do you have a hard time believing God loves you? How do you exclude yourself from every single person on the face of the earth? How? How do you make yourself an alien or whatever it is? I don't even, I don't even understand it. He declared a love for every single person. He excludes no one. No, no matter how vile they are. He excludes no one. Everybody. God so loved everybody that anybody who believes in Him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Everybody and anybody. We all fall into that category. And so grace has been extended. And that's full disclosure. That's full disclosure of Him knowing who's in the world. That's full disclosure of him understanding how evil people can be. That's full disclosure of him knowing how big a failure people are. And how they mess things up. And they mess up other people. And they mess up other people's lives. And how they mess up their own life. And all of those other things. He knows all of that about us. And he still loves us. And he still has made provision for us. That's grace. That's what grace is. And as hard as that is for us to sometimes understand, that is what grace is. We don't deserve it. We didn't do anything for it. We didn't earn it. In fact, some of us, we can readily admit, we're kind of terrible people. But the grace is still there. It's, it's, it's that, that's the full disclosure of it. It's like, yeah, He knows who I am, and He's still extending grace to me. He's still extending that grace into my life. Grace for all. And in, in Paul's case, he's looking at it in two categories. you got Jewish people and Gentile people. And God's grace is for everybody. Everybody. The call goes out to everybody. So everybody has the opportunity. Anybody can make that decision. We can't exclude anybody from that decision. You just can't. No one is ever too far gone. We think they're too far gone, but they're not too far gone. We think that they're too bad, but they're not too bad. 
Why? Because God loves the whole world. Even the, 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 the vilest scum of the earth, He still loves them. And I know, you know, when I say things like that, that's kind of an offensive way of looking at it. It's the truth. It's just the truth. The vilest scum of the earth, God still loves them. And He still made provision for them, and they can make a decision to know Jesus. They can. Yeah, yeah. One of those Navy SEALs. One of those Navy SEALs. Before they, he he shot him right between the eyes. Could have given him the opportunity to know Jesus, right? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, and I know, and I and I want you to to really consider this: that God loves us that much. He loves you. Stop. Stop. Stop rejecting his love. Stop making an excuse not to receive his love. Well, I'm this, I'm that. He knows. Still loves you. I've done this. He knows. He still loves you. He's made provision for you. He made provision for that thing you did. He's already made it. And he'll continue to make provision. And, and Paul points out, as he's talking, kind of interesting in these verses, he's going down these verses, he points out, he's like, many of us are Jewish, but many more are not. He recognizes that fully. And you're looking at the whole world, and the world that he lived in, there was a population of Jewish people, but he understood that the gospel was for everybody. And he's like, so we got the Jewish people, which would be a small portion of the world, and it's still, they still are a small portion of the world, but then you got everybody else. Many of us aren't. And I find it interesting that Paul uses that phrase, us. Paul was definitely Jewish. He was born Jewish. He raised Jewish as a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I mean, the guy was taught in the Scriptures. He was working for the Jewish leaders and for the Sanhedrin. He was persecuting Christians for them. He was definitely Jewish. But he says, he says many people are Jewish, but many of us aren't. Us? Well, who's he identifying with? He's identifying with his new tribe. See, he had been he'd been Jewish, and he understood that. Well, some of the people that are coming into this new tribe are Jewish, but a lot of them aren't. And he became an apostle to those that weren't, recognizing that this word and this gospel, looking at the things that Jesus said, looking at the things that God has spoken, even over Abraham. Way back, that you said your seed will be a blessing to the whole earth. That was prophesied way back when God was blessing Abraham. And was saying that he would have a seed that would come from him that would bless the whole world. For God so loved the whole world that he gave his only son. That's the seed. And so Paul, looking back, saying, oh, this is prophesied. These are the facts. Looking at Jesus, oh... This is what he said. There's a love out here. There's a grace out here for everybody. So some of us coming into this, we're Jewish, but many more of us aren't. And then all of a sudden, there's this huge door swinging open for everybody, including us. Including us. And to this point, to this point, the chosen people of God were only the Jewish people. And what Paul declared right here is, that's no longer the case. That is no longer the case.
they were cast off. And I want you to hear this. Because I want you to think about this. Coming off of our January celebration, I want you to think about this. Those people were cast off because of their ingratitude toward their Father, toward their God. They were just plain and simple, just ungrateful for what God had done. And I I can only encourage us to be a grateful people. Grateful to God, grateful to the people that are in our lives, grateful to those that sacrifice for us, that have sacrificed for us, just grateful. Because as we practice gratitude with one another, we're going to be a lot better at it practicing gratitude with God. And recognizing, wow, God, you just really opened that door for me. Thanks. God, you just saved me from that situation. Thanks. God, you just provided for me. I didn't have this and now I do. Thanks. God, I, I driving down the road, you just saved my life. Thanks. I mean, is that hard? You know what the hardest part of it is recognizing when God does something in our life because he doesn't blow a trumpet every time he does because he doesn't just set off fireworks every time he does something in our life. He doesn't come to you and say, hey, be grateful. He doesn't do that. That's not how God works. He just does things. He just provides things. He just saves us. Really. He pours into our life. He blesses us. He brings people into our life. He puts us in situations. He changes the hearts of people that that have authority over us. He changes the hearts of people that could hurt us sometimes. And it'd do us a lot of good to learn to be grateful. It really would. Because I, I, I look around and I, I'm around a lot of people and I, I work in a, with a lot of people and I serve a lot of people. And I'm going to tell you right now, people are not grateful. They're just not. And, and so if I can see that and I understand that as a person, i got to imagine all the stuff that God does all the time in our lives, every single day, working, moving, providing, all the stuff that he does, that that if we're not living in a state of gratitude toward him, we're just ungrateful. And and so I just want you to hear that. I want you to hear that. And it took a few thousand years for this to happen. So I'm not worried about the last ten years of your life, okay? You have time to change. I'm not saying God's casting anybody off. But what I am saying is you're not living in the fullness of what God has for you. You're not living in the fullness of of, of who He is in your life if you're not living a life of gratitude. You're just not. And there's so much more that God wants to show you, so much more that He wants to reveal to you, so much more that you can be living in right here and right now. Such a presence, such a, a just a, a state of being that God has for us if we could just switch our hearts over and we could be a little bit grateful. And so I want to encourage you to that. Because the people, these people were cast off just for ingratitude. And I mean, you can talk about disobedience all you want. You can talk about idolatry. You can talk about all the stuff that they did. But when it boils right down to it, they were an ungrateful people. Selfish and ungrateful. Self-centered and ungrateful. And if you look at our society and you look at who we are, we are a selfish, self-centered, ungrateful society. 
And if you're going to live differently than that, then you're going to have to leave that stream and come into a new stream of gratitude in your life. you got to leave that stream of being normal and regular and just like everybody else. Because if you're just like everybody else, you're going to be ungrateful too. And so now, as Paul says here, the Gentiles... They are now God's people. Because why, why are we here? He who has been forgiven much, what? Loves much. That's what Jesus taught. The Gentiles, the Gentiles were hungry. And they had been forgiven much. And they loved much. And so, God is saying here, and and there's a verse quoted, turn to Hosea chapter 2. Keep your finger in Romans 9, but Hosea chapter 2. He quotes Hosea here, and he talks about his loved one. And what he's describing here, and this is God speaking about his loved one. And in Hosea, Hosea is that guy that... that, uh, God speaks to that he goes out and he marries a woman. I think it's Hosea, right? Hosea 2.23 begins to describe some of that. Uh, if you go back into Hosea 1, you can see God's instruction to him and all of that. And Hosea, in the book of Hosea, talks about Israel as being the unfaithful wife. Not just the unfaithful wife, but the, the prostitute wife is what she's described as. And, and so... The idea here is that God takes his wife back, as Hosea did. And he takes his wife back, the unfaithful wife, and he loves her again. In other words, she'd been cast off, not loved, but now she was loved. So somebody read Hosea 2.23. All right, so when you read that, what you're seeing is you, you, you get two different, right? You get two different groups of people here. You've got this whole idea that you have the woman, I don't love you, but I will love you. And then you've got a people who are saying, you're not my people. Now you are my people. All right, so what happened? So what happened there? Between those two things. Who made the decision to love? The husband did. And in this situation, the example here, it's God. He's making the decision. I mean, you got Hosea. God God sends, sends him out and says, find yourself a good prostitute to marry. And so he finds a good prostitute named Gomer. And he marries up Gomer. And so he gets into this whole thing with Gomer and all this stuff, and then they have kids and and whatever. All right, you can read the story of Hosea if you want to. 
but they have kids and they make this, this dysfunctional family or however you want to see that. But the husband has to make a decision in the midst of all that. And in that decision he makes, he's like, this is a woman I don't love, but I'm going to love her. He makes that decision. He makes that decision. She doesn't make that decision. Do you understand that? This is an important distinction for to be made here. And it's a distinction that Paul is making to the Romans. saying This wasn't the decision of the wife to make. It was the decision of the husband to make. And he decided he was going to love that woman. So then he uses the, the example and says, and then a people that I didn't love, I'm going to love. Who made that decision to love those people? He did. God does. That's His grace. We become His loved one because He decided to love us. We didn't do anything. We didn't do anything. We were just living our life. Now in the book of Hosea, if you read the whole book, you realize God told him to go marry a prostitute. It wasn't like he didn't know he was going to marry a prostitute. He said, oh, I got this, this nice girl you should meet named Gomer. You two hit it off right away. All right, he didn't do that to him. He didn't blind date him on Gomer or anything. He told him, he's like, go find yourself a prostitute. So he went and found her. In other words, full disclosure, who's Gomer? She's a prostitute. He knows she's a prostitute. Full disclosure. Nobody's fooled here. Nobody's fooled about who you are. Nobody's fooled about who I am. Nobody. God knows. And so he goes out and he, and he finds her. And he makes a decision to love her. Just like God makes a decision to love you and me. And we become his people because he decided we'd become his people. We didn't do anything to become his people. He just wants us to be his people. He, he made that decision. And so, so, so I want you to think about that for a minute. And, and how that contrasts with some of the views you have about your standing with God, about your identity with God, about what it means to be one of God's people. You know, and the, the idea, like the world, you hear people say, well, you're, you're a Christian, right? Should you be acting like that? You know what my first thought is? You have no idea what it means to be a Christian. You have no idea what it means to be one of God's people if you ask me that question. Because that identity that I have has nothing to do, nothing to do with my decision. It had to do with God's. Alright, that opportunity. And so I took it. Because what's the response you think of Gomer Maybe toward Jose after he decides he's going to love her. What do you think might happen? She may come to love him. That could be the case. Does she have to though? No. No. So she might not come to love him, but she could. So God's loving on us. What, What might happen with us? With us? We may. Come to love Him. We may make a decision to know Him and come to love Him and believe in Him and, and, and give our lives to Him. Then again, we may not. And that's the beauty of the decision and the free will that God has given us in our life. 
And so there it is. Like I, I didn't, I didn't get called into this relationship because I was a great guy. All right. All right. I just didn't. I got, I got called in this relationship because God made a decision to love me. And, and in a, in some, by some work of grace in my life, I had enough sense to love him back at some moment. I made that decision. I was going to love him back. And so from that point on, my life began to change because I was loving him back. And he was loving me and, and we were growing in a relationship together. But my identity, the identity that I have in Christ, my identity is part of one of God's children and, and, and his people. That's because he decided that, not me. I just decided to love him back. He gave me the opportunity. And so there's, there's something really big there that we need to get a hold of in our hearts and our minds. Because should you be acting like that? I'm not acting like anything. This whole thing is because God loved me and I'm just trying to love Him back. Maybe I'm not doing a great job today. I don't know, but I'm trying. I'm responding. Yeah. There's a whole culture of Christians who just feeds into that whole idea of what a Christian should or shouldn't act like and what that means and what that looks like. Just, if Christian really, it's just a really poor representation. Yeah, and, and and it creates a performance orientation toward receiving God's love, where the reality of God's love is we didn't do anything to receive it to begin with. And so we can't do anything to continue receiving it. it, it, it he, gave, he gives it by His will and His decision, not based on our response. So So it never had anything to do with that. So why make it have something to do with that? Why create that situation? Because as we create that situation, then we really begin to create a separation between us and God. And, and, and cause a lot of people to live false lives. Right. They look one way on the outside, and when they go do something else in their private time, because they, they're too ashamed, and they can't let that be seen. Right. Right. There's no disclosure in their mind. In other words, what that does is begin to put an open door for the devil to come in and deceive, distort, and to pervert what God intended from the beginning to be a really simple understanding. And think about, this is being prophesied by Hosea. How long was this the plan? This was the plan. This is it. This is the plan. There's no other plan. We, we can't make up a better plan. And, and for a guy, a prophet, to go out and marry himself a prostitute so that we could maybe understand the plan. Alright, he's taking some drastic steps for us to get it, okay? Let's honor his decision. Let's honor that obedience and get it. Seriously. Let's just get it. We didn't do anything to get his love to start with. We're not going to do anything to get his love now. Let's just love him back. And I hope that kind of makes sense to you. A little. Somehow.
So it had been foretold, this was the plan, and it's not only God's people, but as you read in Romans, we're actually sons, we're actually daughters. In other words, we have access to the inheritance. We have access to the family fortune. And I don't mean that monetarily, I mean the richness of the kingdom, the richness of being in God's household, the richness of what it is being a child of the king. We've been given all of that. So that's our identity. And and that identity, as long as you keep it this simple, it's really hard for the devil to mess with that. But you have to keep it that simple. Because if you you make it any more complicated, you're putting an open door in there for the devil to mess with that and to mess with and, and deceiving you and robbing you of your identity in God, your identity in Christ. Now, I know just a few minutes ago I overstated a few things. I'm overstating things on purpose. Because I want that to be the overriding thought. I want that to be the thing that stands out. I want that to be the thing that is the counter to everything that our culture is saying, everything that maybe the church culture is saying, or whatever it is that is saying those things. We need a counterweight to that. And it needs to be that heavy. It really does. It needs to be this heavy. And last thing I want to share with you is that definitions change when it comes to God. You think about the definition of God's people. That changed. That changed from a people who over the millennia that they were God's people had just become ungrateful. And because of their ingratitude and their indifference, God chose a people that he didn't love before, but now he loves. A people he didn't choose before, but now he chooses. And so our definition, all right, our definition needs to change. See, this is how grace works. This is what grace is in and of itself. A people that were not my people. Now there is people. Right? They weren't. They are. Why? Because he says so. He loves us. Why? Because he says so. He just does. Now, people who were beloved. They're beloved now. They weren't beloved. That's grace. That's how grace works. Mercy on her who have not obtained mercy. That's us. So now we have mercy. We have grace. We have we are His people. We have love. Because of Him. And so having a deeper understanding, a deeper revelation and grace protects us and keeps us and empowers us to live just by simply loving Him back. And, and I, I guess we can make it a lot more complicated than that, but I don't know any reason to do that. I just can't think of any good reason to do that, to make it any more complicated. And so from that place, that, that revelation of grace, we can begin to grow and build, really grow and build. What it means to, to live in Christ, what it means as we're loving Him and how that manifests in our life, how that manifests through us, how that manifests in the lives of other people that are around us. 
What's our testimony from that point? What's our testimony from the place of this kind of grace? I mean, really. You, you think about how simple the testimony is. You can talk about where you came from. Yeah. And we know. I mean, I understand. We all came from different places. And, and sometimes that's a dramatic story, how that happened. But the, the, the nuts and bolts of it boils down to God loved us. And at some point, we got some kind of revelation of that, and we made a decision we were going to love Him back. And our life began to change from that point on. Wherever we came from. Wherever that was. I want to love much. And and looking at my life, I got the opportunity to love much. And so I'm going to take it. Right? And, and most of us have that opportunity to love much. So I want to encourage you to love him much. To be grateful. To live in gratitude. And to love him with our lives. All right, any questions or comments? Howard. Yep. Yeah. Well, think about well. You think about the illustration of the prostitute. What do prostitutes do? 
Right. Well, you're you're married. To, think about it. Think, Hosea married a prostitute. What do prostitutes do for a living? All right. So she's going to go to work every day. So so by her very by her very nature and by her very job by her very decision of who she was she was completely going against the nature of their relationship you understand what i mean all right so so you think about that and and his decision though was to love her that was his decision so correct now it's not even irregardless it's in full disclosure and understanding of what she's doing he's loving her you understand what i mean like he's not setting it aside he's saying even though he's, he's not even saying even though he's saying this is who you are i love you all right so that's his decision and so I'm, I'm getting at here, and this is, this is not a, a popular understanding of God, but as many times as you walk away or turn away or hurt somebody or do something, He's still loving you. Because that's His decision. And that's that idea. And if you can keep in mind, I'm not telling you to think about prostitutes or anything, but if you can keep in mind that the illustration that's being given here is of that, then I think it, to me, becomes more obvious that our lives, even though our lives can be bad and our lives can can be at, at the very least inconsistent toward Him, that He chooses to love us. So it's not go marry a prostitute, make her a former prostitute, it's go marry a prostitute. Yeah, that's what He did. That's that's what he did, and you should read read the Hosea one. No, really, read Hosea one and get an idea of what he's really what's really going on here. And people will say, "Oh, well, that was just uh, you know that wasn't real. That wasn't real. It's just a story or something." It was real, and and he did it because it illustrates the love that God has for us in a very real and practical way, a literal way. He literally loves us that much. Correct. So, I was also thinking, like, way in the beginning when you were talking about how God uh, said, these are people who I love, and now these are my people. And I was thinking about, you know, Aaron and China and, um, and Keelan and, and Taiwan, and how it just seems like God will go out to other places and just like he did, he'll send us out to people who aren't our people and we make them our people. Like right now, I have a bunch of little half pint kids. They're my people. Right. They're my tribe. Right. <laughs> so it's just really cool how God still, he keeps pushing us out and extending our family more and more and more. Right. Right. So, I mean, it, it becomes a natural extension to me of, of who he is in us. He's going to love me. I'm going to love him. And I'm going to love other people. And it's, it's a natural extension to me of who we are. And it just keeps going outward. 
All right. We're going to close in prayer. So thank you for your comments and participation. Let's just respond. Father, I, I just pray that tonight we can respond to what, what your grace really is. And I pray for that revelation of grace that we receive tonight. I pray for that revelation of grace to grow in our hearts. To get bigger and bigger and begin to displace those lies and displace the deceptions and displace the work that the enemies tried to put into us. Because I pray, God, that your grace would be bigger. And I pray your love would be bigger in our life. That, that God, you made a decision to love us. A people who were not your people, now we are. A people who weren't loved, now we're loved. And so things need to change in our minds about how you work. Things need to change in our hearts about how you work and who you are and how you see us. And so I pray for those things to change. And I pray for your grace and your love to just be bigger and bigger and bigger. Because God, I want to love you back. And I pray that we are people who just, just love you back with our lives. Just love you back. So thanks tonight for a good revelation. Thanks tonight for a good and a better understanding of your grace and of your love. Not only for us, but for the whole world. And I pray, God, that we would just find our place in that and share in that love. Not only in our own lives, but toward you and toward the people around us. Thanks, God. Thanks. I also pray tonight that we be a people of gratitude. I want to pray specifically that you'd open our hearts to be a people of gratitude toward one another and especially toward you. If we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.